0: Welcome to AM Best Audio. FEMA overhauled its flood insurance program last year, hoping to get more homeowners to purchase flood insurance. But has that happened? I'm John Weber for AM Best TV, and we're at the WSIA conference in San Diego. And we have a terrific panel today who will be discussing that and other flood insurance topics. They are John Dixon, President Aon Edge. Craig Poulton, CEO, Poulton Associates, and Kristen Adler, Area Executive Vice President, RPS. And Krista, let's start with you. How is flood risk changing?
1: Well, that's uh, that's a big question. Um, you know, I, I think the easiest answer is we're seeing changes in the climate, right? It's hard to turn on the TV these days and not see some sort of flooding happening across the country. So, um, certainly that that has caused some changes in the in the frequent or the frequency of flooding just feels like it's it's certainly uh, ramped up a little bit. Um, you know, I think flood risk is also changing. Due to outside factors, so you know what we've seen a lot is you know there are cities or towns or villages that are delaying infrastructure changes, and some of this these delays and in infrastructure changes are just causing that stormwater to run off in places that maybe we didn't expect. Uh,
2: I, I would also add to that that there continues to be billions of dollars built where they shouldn't be located. The, so the we're placing. A lot of structures in the way of flooding, and we should, we should, well, I I would posit we are aware of it, but we're ignoring it.
0: And with these changes, John, how is flood changing as far as underwriting goes? Well,
3: Krista hit right on it. Uh, The weather's changing, and so as the weather changes, the way that we approach this risk has to change. We're seeing storms that last further and hold their energy longer, travel thousands of miles to inundate metropolitan areas. So we have to constantly think about new ways to assess risk and manage risk. If we think about risk through yesterday's lens, they're gonna continue to be caught unawares and our communities are gonna be devastated. Uh, we have to think about new technologies, new ways about distribution, communication, education, awareness. There's a massive insurance gap in the United States when it comes to flood insurance. And, and all of us here at this conference, listening to this panel, We have to think about new ways to understand risk, to price risk, to reach homes in different ways to better protect our communities. John is right on the money,
2: and we are seeing, I I believe that uh, Krista and John would both agree with this, we're seeing a great deal more interest in doing exactly what John has, has outlined on the part of major insurers and reinsurers. I think you know
1: historically there's been sort of this um, a stigma, I suppose, around flood and saying you know I only need flood if I'm in a high hazard zone. I only need flood if my mortgage company requires it, and because there have been these limits set by the NFIP. People think, well, if I'm buying the maximum available, then I have enough. Well, you know, we've seen inflation, we've seen uh, increased costs of construction, and yet those limits have stayed the same. And so I think, you know, Like John said, I think we need to raise more awareness in saying, you know, maybe the only option is not just buying the maximum available with the NFIP. Maybe we need more coverage, um, you know, and we need to be able to diversify outside of people only buying flood coverage in the high hazard zones to allow those insurers that are providing the coverage to offset some of their, you know, riskier, Uh, flood accounts with some that are a little bit less risky. John, you mentioned distribution,
0: is that changing?
3: I think it is. I think as people engage with insurance in new ways, uh, technology, uh, buying commodities products on your smart devices, on mobile devices, uh, engaging with industry through different media, I think that does change the way distribution has to reach our customers. It also changes the way that we can communicate risk. You we talk constantly about change, um, but there are some constants, and, and Chris touched on a couple. One constant, water doesn't know to stop at these imaginary boundaries that we draw on maps. Uh, another constant, <laughs> floods continue to happen. And so, if we're mindful of these constants while we're keeping our eyes on the changes, particularly changes with how we communicate and purchasing tendencies, and, and how consumers want to absorb and consume products, I, I think we can make some headway. A lot of work remains, however.
2: When we talk about distribution, we, we, can't, we can't not intone flood maps, as, as John just referenced. And the, the distribution system overlays the flood map, which the NFIP has made a horizontal construct. But flood maps are actually a vertical construct. The, the U.S. flood map should be a series of pin dots on low-lying structures that are near, near enough water to, to be flooded or, or near enough to the sky to receive enough rain to be flooded. So, that, so it would be a large number of, of pins. But to draw a horizontal map to try and describe a vertical construct is doomed to failure. And so 50%, at least, of the structures that should be mapped in and be forced to buy flood insurance if they if they have a mortgage through a, a federally insured institution, um, should be included in this distribution mechanism, but they're not. They just aren't there. And and it's been proven time and time again. The NFIP spent fifteen million dollars on advertising, I believe it was in twenty sixteen or so. Uh, and didn't move the needle at all you can't just tell people you need flood insurance, and they'll buy it That's not how it works. They have to pretty much be forced into it in order to buy it in in large numbers now as John intoned, though There will be for example homeowners endorsements for for folks that are not in danger and in in significant danger of flooding will help a lot but so, somebody somewhere has got to look at this flood map issue which we've known about for years and change it and you know it, it, we're not going to make much progress unless we do that.
0: Craig, can you talk to us a little bit about risk rating 2.0, what that is and what's going
2: on with it? Sure, I'd be happy to. So risk rating 2.0 is FEMA's uh, new rating methodology as opposed to I'll call it 1.0. Um, it's extremely well uh, thought out, and uh, they've had some great experts on their team to put it together. Uh, however, interestingly, the vast majority of NFIP uh, special flood hazard area risks continue to have their risk rating 1.0 rate at renewal. So while risk rating 2.0 it was absolutely unnecessary, to have the NFIP be able to fairly distribute a rate increase, which Congress told them they must do in 2012, they proceeded after 2012 to drop their rate instead of increase it, even though Congress mandated that they increase it. And, and then, they, but, but I think one of the reasons was they had no way to fairly distribute the rate. It was a randomly assigned rate prior to risk rating 2.0. So risk rating 2.0 came into the, to the mix, and because of the way it's implemented, and I won't go into the technical aspects, but because of the way it's been implemented, a large number of what are called X-zone risk folks have exited the purchase of flood insurance through the NFIP. Now, a lot of them have gone to the private market, but very few, about half the folks uh, can't get access to the private market through their current agent, uh, because they're they write with the WIOs only. So having this exodus of risks has, has, has not, uh, they have not gone to the private market. So risk rating 2.0, very necessary, well done, well thought out, not being implemented in its entirety, and not scheduled to get the full impact of, of the correct rate or the actuarial rate for 10 years. So we've really got some challenges. I could go into all the things I think NFIP could do, but I've talked long enough, so I'll let somebody else
3: Well, I love the last point that you made about the the time it's going to take to get to that full risk rate, and I think that's one of the biggest challenges with risk rating 2.0. The way that it's structured in Congress, uh, the increases are capped, but the decreases are realized 100%. And so that means that if someone is going to see 15% off of their rate, they see that today. If somebody's going to see a 20% increase, they only see a part of that today. And that inches in over time. We don't have time. We're running at a deficit. We have, a, again, a massive exposure in this, this country that needs to be closed. We don't have 10 years to fix this. And I think that's one of the biggest flaws with, with risk rating 2.0. I love the way you say it. It's, it's a great concept. Um, I, I think the execution uh, could use a little work. So what's going on with the NFIP? Well, I think the NFIP has an incredible mandate. You think about, this is a, a government entity that's been charged to, to provide flood insurance to every home in the United States. It's, it's an incredible undertaking. And I also love where part where of the conversation today. If we continue to build structures where structures don't belong, the problems that we're talking about today will persist. And, and the NFIP, I think, in the execution of that mandate has some ways uh, fostered that behavior. They've encouraged that behavior because you can continue to get insurance, you continue to rebuild, and we see it time and again. The NFIP insured structure that's now being rebuilt for its fourth or fifth time. They buy insurance for a couple thousand dollars from the government, and then they get a new house every couple of years. That has to stop. And I think the NFIP needs to work through these, these challenges with homes not belonging where they are and repetitive loss structures. I think that would, be, that would greatly improve the industry and our country. I just just on
2: repetitive loss structures I can't can't resist mentioning that that the NFIP has taken every structure and taken it to the actuarial rate or below the old most of them have the old 1.0 rate and uh, and they've completely they don't take into account losses at all for repetitive loss structures, so it's it's due over time for repetitive loss structures And when they have their first loss, then all of their prior losses come back to haunt the structure, right? And so, unfortunately, and I I believe this is happening from anecdotal evidence, people who have repetitive loss properties are selling to people who don't know it's a repetitive loss property because the NFIP doesn't release the data in order to have a flood later on for the unsuspecting buyer, which will then find out it is a repetitive loss property and their premium will skyrocket. And they're the one left holding the financial bag, which should have been rightly borne by the prior owner who knew what they were selling. So it's almost like the government's complicit in a kind of a trick and device scheme. You know, it's it's really a sad thing for the folks who are gonna buy those homes, thinking they've got a beautiful home near the water, and then they find out that the the premium is so high that they can't sell it for anything close to what they bought it for.
0: So where's the flood market headed? Anyone's guess? Krista,
1: would you like to venture a thought? A year or two ago, we would have said, all right, we think that we're going to get more and more traction in the private flood market, and I think we have. Um, You know, I think it certainly makes sense to try to get more risks maybe out of the federal program and into the private market, but the Delta in pricing in deductibles in just the way that that the business is underwritten remains so large that it's going to take a long time you know john touched on it as did craig it's you know if you're getting that rate increase over the course of 10 years there's never time for the private market to, to catch up right and you know the the nfip program you know it it serves a wonderful purpose but it is still very um underpriced compared to where the private market is, so you know I mean it, it's hard to have that crystal ball to say where it's going to be. I do think we'll start to see more more people uh, trend towards the private market. I think that there are advantages to being in the private market, but um, you know the the NFIP is obviously
2: here to stay as well let well, me make one observation uh, that's germane to this, and that is that because the legacy rating system one point uh, Used the same rate in each flood zone, right? But the flood zone is not flat, it undulates. So if I'm three feet above John, I deserve a lower rate than John, but I get the same rate. Hence, that, that reality creates a random assignment of rate. OK? So 50 percent of the people in the old two point, or the, the 1.0 assignment mechanism were getting a rate that was too high. That's what we've been trafficking on for for several years. So the private market is not always priced higher than the NFIP. Oftentimes it can be lower and reasonably so. But and and with 2.0, hopefully that that uh, correlation becomes less and less uh, pronounced. But but it's still there. You know, we still have 50 percent of the people in the NFIP, They're paying. Well, actually, as John as John implied the. Or, or, or outlined, there, folks that should've gotten a lower rate, a lot of them have gotten the lower rate, 23%, I believe it was. and um, But there's still a lot that are, are getting the old sort of randomly assigned rate.
1: Well, and I think that, you know, essentially what that does, right, is the private market is coming in and they're being opportunistic and they're going to pick off those ones that are getting Correct. that that rate, you know, that much higher rate despite maybe being built up a little bit higher or whatever it may be and so then i think it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy that again now we leave the nfip with only the absolute worst risks right and yeah yeah. Yeah. and you know is that what we want is that not what what we want i don't know but you know it, it certainly will make a difference in the future if the NFIP is only doing those risks
2: that are truly the ones that have the most flood exposure tell every every insurance crisis gets fixed right insurer of last resort yep. you know either that or assigned risk pool so we, if we can go down that road and the NFIP will accept a position of insurer of last resort we're on our way to a solution
3: when I think about the future of the flood insurance industry, uh, one thing that strikes me is I think the private industry is showing that the flood insurance can work. And I, and I, and I think it is working, and, and maybe not with the velocity that we'd like, uh, but we talk about lower pricing or higher pricing, everything that we're talking about, uh, with the NFIP is doing the risk rating 2.0, the investments that are happening in industry, better mapping resolution, better models, that doesn't make us price lower or higher, it makes all of us price better. And I think that's what's happening today. It's going to take some time. It's going to take education. It's going to take awareness. It's going to take AM Best TV to get the message out. But we are pricing flood insurance better today than we did yesterday, and we'll continue to do that.
0: On that note, great discussion, everyone. John Dixon, Craig Poulton, Krista Nadler, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. And from the WSIA conference in San Diego, I'm John Weber for AMBEST TV.